Well, you can go ahead and have a seat. It is good to see you here today. Thank you, worship team, for a great morning singing wonderful truths from God's Word. We have one clap, and that's all right. We have, <laughs> I always just like the one, the, try to get the slow clap going, but uh, you are very appreciated, guys. I, I want to just uh, ask you to open up to Luke 4. We've kind of been walking through this uh, gospel together, and today we come to what is a very interesting passage of Scripture. And what I want to do is kind of let you in behind the scenes a little bit to uh, what we have going on and, and how we arrive at passages like this. You have heard me say as your pastor that we have a desire to preach not just a good word, not just a good message, not just a clever titled or well put together presentation or talk, but rather we want whoever is standing here behind this pulpit, whether it is me or Pastor Bob, Pastor Brad, whoever it would be who is preaching the word, we want to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. And we want to, with confidence, be able to declare to you that this is the word God has for his people at this appointed time. So the way that has worked out for us and the way that we try to do that is most consistently that what you're going to hear when you gather here with us is that we are working our way either through a book of the Bible or through a lengthy passage of Scripture. And we obviously know that that's not the only way to preach. In fact, if you've been hanging out with me since I've been here, there's been a couple times where we have stopped and for seasons talked about some topics and things that God was doing in our life through a biblical lens. And those are important things for us to stop and do from time to time. But the normal operation for us is that we will be preaching through sections of Scripture together. And the reason we do that is we want to be preaching and teaching the entire counsel of God. And we want to preach through all of the Word of God. And I hope that the Lord allows me to stay here long enough to preach through the whole Bible, maybe twice, all right? Uh, so uh, some of you are like, wow, we're going to be moving quick. But that's all right. Uh, I do have a desire to walk through the Word of God. And when you do it this way, though, the interesting thing is that you come across interesting passages that perhaps never would have been taught otherwise. So let me, again, just kind of behind the scenes, never would I have opened up my Bible and been like, oh, here's a passage about demons. Let's do that one, okay? Uh, Yet here we are, and God has led us here today, and I believe that in his sovereignty he has led us to this divine appointment today where we are here opening the Bible and God is speaking to us. So even though there are times where we encounter passages that make you go, ah, that's kind of different, that's a little bit strange, even though that happens to us occasionally, I'm excited on days like this because I know that God has led us here, Uh, that this wasn't Pastor Russ, I didn't eat something funny and think we need to talk about demons, right? Uh, This was just the word of God leading us to this place. So uh, it is with joy that we can dive into this passage and see what God has for us. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter four, and we're going to be starting in verse 31. And we'll read this and then we'll pray again and ask the Lord to help us. So let's start in verse 31 of Luke four. The Bible says, and Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. 
And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went into, out into every place in the surrounding region. Let's continue. Verse 38. Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. I think if it's my mother-in-law, I'm like, hey, listen, Jesus, it's probably her time. All right. But anyways, if you're watching on the live feed, uh, I'm going to see her in a couple weeks, too. So I'm not I'm not scared. Uh, all right. Verse 40. Mallory's not in here either. So uh, <laughs> Pastor Bob can tell you much harder on the second time. The first time I'm like, uh, uh, mother-in-law joke. Uh, you know, I'm just like laying it out there. Verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Will you all pray with me and then we'll ask the Lord to help us. Jesus, we, we need your help today. Uh, we know that when we come to texts like this, uh, it brings up questions that are, are in our hearts and our minds and, and maybe even things we've seen or thought in the past. But God, we uh, want your truth today. So Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be something that makes us feel smarter or makes us feel more informed, but rather, Lord, you would take all of this and speak to our hearts in such a way that you change us. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be your people living for your glory in such a way that the enemy doesn't have a chance in Wichita, Lord. So help us to be that people. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we picked up right where we left off last week. If you were here, if you got to catch that sermon online, you know that we talked about Jesus preaching in the synagogue at his hometown of Nazareth, and it didn't go well. At first, they were pretty pumped about it. They were like, wow, this guy's teaching really well. But then Jesus gets to a point where he says, the gospel is not only for Jews, but the gospel is for everyone. And at that point, things did not go well. They picked him up, took him to the edge of town, and tried to throw him off of a cliff. And I've, I told you last week, I've had some sermons that weren't received well. Never did it go that badly for me, though. But Jesus, through miraculous means, is able to escape. He literally just walks out. It had to be God helping him do that, just a miracle moment. So he goes to the next town, which is Capernaum, still in the same region of Galilee. And he goes to the synagogue, and again, he is teaching. He's teaching here in Capernaum, and uh, people are excited. Jesus started this kind of his mode of operation. He would go into a synagogue, and he would teach there, and then he would go out into the community and minister to needs there as well. So here he is in the synagogue, and when he's there, he's teaching, and it said that the people were absolutely astonished by his teaching. The first thing we see in this text that we need to note is that Jesus was an incredibly gifted teacher. He was an incredibly gifted teacher. Now, it's important to note that he was not just a good teacher, but Jesus was indeed a good teacher. One of the hallmarks of his ministry was the fact that he made the scriptures come alive like nobody had before him. The Old Testament is what he had at this time. Obviously, the New Testament is being lived out as Jesus is teaching here. But he taught the scriptures in a way that no one had understood or seen it like that before. And it was an incredible, incredible thing, I'm sure, to witness. I've heard it said that the greatest sin a pastor can commit is to make the Bible boring. 
And I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've been guilty of making the Bible. Nobody amen that, all right? I've been guilty of making the Bible boring, and I've heard messages like that. But apparently the rabbis of this time were really gifted at making the Bible boring. So when Jesus started to teach, it was very compelling and challenging, and the Holy Spirit was at work in their hearts, and he was making the Word of God come alive like it never had before. And I'm so thankful that today I can preach the Word with confidence, not because of my ability and not because of this church, but because through his Spirit, Jesus is still making the Word of God come alive to us today. Did you know that when we preach the word, it's not because Pastor Rusty is good or Pastor Bob is good. It's not because of any of those things. When we preach the word, we believe that God himself is making his word come alive to us as we study it together. That's a pretty awesome thing. And it's also freeing for me. I I, I know that you know this sometimes, but pastors can put pressure on themselves. I got to preach a compelling message. I really got to do this. At the end of the day, I do have to labor and work. The Bible calls pastors to do that, to pray and study and prepare. But at the end of the day, all I can do is let Jesus make his word come alive. So that's my prayer every Sunday. Jesus, make your word come alive to us today in a way that challenges us and changes us. So Jesus is teaching here with authority and leading these people to understand the scripture like never before. Unlike in Nazareth, his hometown, the people were not trying to kill him. Instead, they're responding to the word when in the middle of the service. Now, we said synagogue last week was basically their local church. I'm sure it looked quite a bit different than our church services. But at the same time, there was very likely music, reading the scripture, teaching and prayer. So things that we have in our worship services and right in the middle of this worship service. A man speaks up and says, ha, Jesus, what are you doing here? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I'll just tell you, I have been in ministry long enough now that there have been awkward things that have happened from time to time that interrupted worship services. And I will tell you, there's not a whole bunch of them, but I remember every one of them because they were incredibly awkward. Yet none of them touched this. This, imagine, this is the equivalent of if right now an outburst were to happen in such a similar way. It would stop down the service, wouldn't it? It got awkward really, really quick. And Jesus says, come out and cast this demon out. So there's a lot to work through here. And I want to, you to notice a couple things right out of the gate here. This demon and all of the demons, as we see in the next passage, have a rock-solid Christology. Now, Christology is just a fun word you can write down if you want, but here's what it means. Christology is they knew who Jesus was and what he had come to do. So this demon says, I know who you are. You are the Son of God. And then he says this, the Holy One of God. He didn't say, hey, you're a holy guy. What did he say? The Holy One. You are set apart from all others. None that have ever existed and none that ever will exist will be like you. You are the one and only Son of God. The Bible says that even demons believe and shudder, doesn't it? The demons have a rock-solid Christology here. But not only that, the other thing to notice is that this demon came to church with somebody. That freaks me out a little bit, y'all. That the demon came to church with somebody. Church, you need to understand, we are naive if we think that the church is only full of spirit-filled, God-fearing believers. The Bible throughout 
the entirety of it is warning the church and warning God's people to watch out for those who are deceiving. It says, watch for those who are actually wolves in sheep's clothing. Shepherd the flock, guard the flock, protect the flock. The reality is sometimes people are straight up deceptive. Unsaved people are simply here to kill, steal, and destroy the work of God. But this is even a little more concerning to me. Did you know that the enemy can use even believers to do his work in the church? Several years ago, I posted on Facebook something along the lines of this. This isn't an exact quote, but I said, don't let the devil use somebody else to steal your joy. Don't let the devil use people to steal your joy. And I'm telling you, like, uh, I mean, I'm trying to sound humble here, but I've got like a billion likes on that thing. I mean, people are like, amen, you know, and they're like sharing it and like subtweeting their friends, you know, like tagging people's names in it, like turning it into a meme. That's right. Don't let Satan use people to take your joy. And I'm telling you, I felt really good about it. But the next day, I actually had just been setting them up the whole time. So it's kind of messed up. I'm confessing to you right now. The next morning, here's what I posted. Don't let Satan use you to steal someone's joy. Can I tell you, like if there would have been a cricket button, people would have clicked that. Nothing. No likes. Like not a lot of great stuff on that. Like people just didn't respond. Because we're all about like, yeah, Satan does use other people. But did you know that he could use you to disrupt and stop the work of his kingdom? It's a concerning thought for us, isn't it? We don't know if this was a God-fearing believer here or, or if this was just somebody being deceptive, but we do know that the enemy was using him in this moment. We see Jesus call out the Spirit, and then through the next several verses, he's going to call out sickness, and Luke is going to say that even many more with sicknesses and uh, with demons come, and all of this, Jesus is healing and freeing people from the powers of darkness. So the question becomes for us today, what are we to make of all of this? And that's the question that I've been asking myself for two or three weeks as I've been trying to work on this message. And I've got nothing, so y'all have a great... No, I'm kidding. It is kind of difficult, isn't it? It's like, so where do we fall in this? What does this mean for us? Well, I want to spend a few minutes today talking about what it means for us to know our enemy. Because we see some things about Satan and demons in the Bible that I think are really important for us to grasp. And passages like this are an opportunity for us to be reminded of these truths. When it comes to Satan and demons, Christians tend to either fall into one of two dangerous areas. The first error that I think we fall into is completely ignoring the enemy. Ignoring the enemy. And here's what I mean by ignoring the enemy. I grew up in a tradition that if we started talking about the devil or demons and the demonic things, darkness, it just got real awkward real fast. Like, we didn't want to sound too kooky or crazy, so, and anybody that did talk about that a lot kind of became that person who talks about that a lot, right? And so anytime that this kind of thing would come up, I kind of became like the real living and uh, kind of uh, Homer Simpson backing into the shrubs meme that you see on social media. Like, that was me. When people were talking about it, I'm like, I'm just getting out of here. This is awkward and uncomfortable. But the reality is, is to ignore the enemy is to ignore the Bible, Because the Bible has passages like this and many others that explicitly talk about the enemy and his work. And then you go into the book of Acts when the early church is starting. 
and you see the enemy rising up against the work of God all the time and the people learning what it looks like to confront and resist the enemy. Then you read Paul's letters that are written as the church has spread around the known world. And he's saying, guard yourself against the enemy. So the Bible addresses the enemy and talks about Satan and demons enough that it would be foolish for us to ignore it today. But the other end of that uh, pendulum that we keep talking about, the extremes that we can fall into, is I have friends who really, to be honest, are obsessive about the enemy. There's some friends of mine that I'm pretty sure they talk to the devil more than they talk to Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. And you might be in this camp, if you rebuke Satan more than you pray to Jesus, then you might have a problem, okay? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where we're like, all right, Satan, not today, you know? And like you, if you spend more time in, you know, I've seen the shirts and that's cool stuff, right? So, but if you spend your day saying not today, Satan, instead of help me, Jesus, I think you're on the wrong end of that. I have some friends who everything in their life, it seems like it was caused by Satan, every bad thing in their life. And I had a buddy one time who had had a car accident and he's like, man, Satan's really working. I wrecked my car. And I'm like, bro, you ran a stop sign. Like Satan didn't have to help you do that. Pay attention next time, right? And we tend to give the enemy so much credit for every little thing in the world. And we can get to where we're totally obsessive about the enemy. And I'll tell you, while the Bible addresses Satan and demons, the Bible certainly doesn't paint a picture of following Christ looking like that. Constantly looking over our shoulder for the devil. Instead, we are to be looking to our Savior. So these are two dangerous errors that we can very easily find ourselves in. And I'll be honest, I think most churches find themselves in one of those two camps. If you have a background where you've been to different churches, you maybe have experienced that, where we either don't talk about it or we talk about it all the time. And both of those, I think, are dangerous places for us to be. So what I want us to do is as we think about this and look at the idea of knowing the enemy, we need to know a few basic truths so that we're prepared when resistance and attacks come from the enemy, but we don't want to obsess about the enemy all the time either. We said this a couple of weeks ago as we looked at the passage of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the desert. We said this truth, we have a real enemy. And that's where we got to start again. We have a real enemy. Satan really does desire to still kill and destroy, especially those who are in Christ. And just like Jesus did, if you are in Christ and you are following Christ, you will encounter Satan and his demons. So it's important to know who they are and what it is that we're dealing with. So the first thing that I think we need to understand today, and this is an important clarification, is that Satan is not equal to God. Satan is not equal to God. Now, I know that's a real basic truth. If I'd have passed out a test today and said, true, false, Satan is equal to God. I think most of us nail that and pass, right? But I think, though, we do tend to kind of treat God and Satan like yin and yang, right? So there's good and evil and the forces of good and evil are fighting and we almost seem like we're not sure who's going to win and they're both trying to fight for our influence and, and trying to lead us down their paths and it seems like it's two equals at war. But you need to understand something. The God who created the world and everything in it, including Satan, rules and reigns over everything, including Satan. All things are subject to the authority of Almighty God, and that includes Satan himself. It's important that we know this. God is almighty. He is all-present. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. Satan is not. 
He is limited. He cannot be everywhere at once. And to put this in perspective, this is the way I like to think about it. When you read the Bible, you see from the beginning to the end, as you know, as the old preachers would say, from the front to the maps, you know, and it's like, I believe that the word of God is sufficient and teaches us everything we need to know. And as you're going through the word of God, guess what you see most of the time? It's the story of Jesus Christ's redemption of the world, God saving his people and redeeming his fallen creation. This is what the Bible is about. So it makes it a little weird when we have messages like this, because to be honest, uh, we want to know more. This is something that, that certainly causes us to sit on the edge of our seat and say, oh, we're going to talk about demons. But you need to know that there's really not just an insane amount of scripture talking about demons and, and all the details about who they are, what they are, and what that looks like. Instead, what we're going to see is that this is a story about Jesus. So here's why I say that and why I bring that up to you. It's important for us to know that God has given us everything we need. We said that last week or two weeks ago in First Peter that we've got, Second Peter, God's given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have all the information we need on the enemy, uh, but, but it's also not as much information as we would like. I, I want to just tell you real quick that if you are really, really interested in books and pastors who claim to have all this information about the devil and uh, about demons, you need to understand there's very little biblical content to back a lot of that up. What they will do is take bits and pieces from the Bible and then try to turn it into like this weird abstract painting that's like those old 3D images you have to cross your eyes and look at it. Oh, I see it now. That's not how the Bible works though, okay? So we want to know what the Bible has to say. So when it comes to knowing our enemy, I think that the place you need to go is the Bible. And once people start getting out of the Bible, you need to be like, I'm out of there. Okay? So this is our source. This is our God. We have a real enemy, but it's important to know that Satan is not equal to God. God is the point of his story. God created Satan and he rules over him. But the second thing you need to know is that Satan is not our only enemy. We've already said that Satan is not omnipresent. Omni is a word that means all. If you got the study guide, you got some bonus content because I, I was just feeling theological. So I said omnipresent, omniscient, omni. Omni just means all. So we believe that God is all present. He's everywhere at once. But the enemy is not like that. Instead, he works through a variety of methods. False teachers, fake Christians and the like, their Bible, the Bible gives us basically three basic forms of opposition that we'll encounter in this life as Christ followers. The first one is the world. The second one is the flesh. And the third is our enemy. The enemy certainly works in the world and in our flesh. But to be honest, a lot of times Satan doesn't have to mess with us because we're walking in the flesh and walking in the ways of the world. So we're like, well, Satan's really attacking me. No, Satan doesn't have to worry about you because you're following the path of this world instead of Jesus. And we can literally take ourselves out to the point where Satan doesn't even have to mess with us. The world uh, is a system that leads us to walk in the ways of the flesh. And our flesh is that natural rebellion that we have towards the things of God. It causes us to push back against him and the world just basically incites our flesh to rule and reign in our lives. And when we're walking in the flesh and letting the world influence our lives, Satan doesn't even have to fool with us. But when we're walking with Jesus, when we're striving to live for him, it's not a question of 
if, but rather when, we encounter Satan, demons, and the works of darkness. It could come from work, it could come from in your home, it could come from temptation, or even like it did for Jesus, it might come right in the middle of the church. It's concerning to think about, isn't it? And this is why it's so important for us to have these conversations, even if they feel a little awkward at times. 2 Corinthians 2.11 has a crazy verse. Paul is talking about the gospel and the importance of it. And he says, here's why we know this, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Basically, the apostle Paul says, we know what that guy's up to. And because we know what he's up to, we're not going to be fooled by him. So that's what messages like this are all about. The reason when we come to passages like this in Luke that we are compelled to stop down and think about this together is because it is so critical for us to be aware that we have a real enemy who really is at work. Satan, demons, and darkness are very real, but here's where the good news comes in. As important as it is for us to know our enemy, it's way more important that we know our Savior. That we know our Savior, and this is what changes everything. You'll notice here in this text, in both of these narratives, in fact, if you said, Rusty, what's the main point of these two narratives? Here it is. Jesus has authority over the powers of darkness. Demons obey Jesus. Sickness obeys Jesus. Jesus rules and reigns over all things, including the powers of darkness. So while we should certainly be aware of our enemy, we need to be intentional and cautious about avoiding his schemes. Here's the truth. If you are in Christ, you are his and nothing, not even demons, can take you from his hands. This is important because we do live in a world right now where the culture is all about this like demon possession Like even the secular world, movies and all this, like it's like everywhere. It's a very popular concept of being possessed by a demon. You need to understand if you are in Christ, you are and always will be in his possession. Nothing and no one else. Can you be influenced and coerced by demons? Yes. Can you be used by Satan for his malevolent purposes? Yes. But you do not belong to him if you belong to Jesus. So this naturally begs the question, how can we know that we are being led and influenced by the right things? This is where I think Luke's teaching becomes instructive for us. Last night as I was actually in this room praying and thinking and reading through my notes, I do that a lot of Saturday nights. I come and walk around and pray for you. I don't even know who's going to be here, but you're prayed for if you're here this morning. And I was thinking about Luke chapter 4 in its entirety being about Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going into the wilderness. How does he fend off the temptation of Satan? It says he was led by the Spirit. Verses 14 through 16 start talking about the beginning of his ministry. And what does Luke tell us? He started his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is teaching the Word of God in Nazareth. And now here in Capernaum, how is he teaching the Word of God? Being full of the Holy Spirit. And now how is he casting out demons and sickness and the powers of darkness through the authority of the Holy Spirit? And notice that the word of God is wrapped up in that every time too. So how is it that we uh, find ourselves in a position to let Christ rule and reign in our lives? It is by walking with his spirit. 
I worded it this way. Let Jesus rule and reign in our lives. This is how we know that we are walking with Jesus. Is he ruling and reigning over every area of your life? If we're going to defeat the enemy in moments of temptation or even moments of direct confrontation, the only hope we have is Jesus Christ and his help. Jesus cast out demons here in the synagogue. Later, we're going to see outside of Peter's house uh, that, that he's doing it all through his own authority. So listen to me, church. You and I, too, can resist and even confront the enemy. But this is a very, 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 very important caveat. Did I say very enough times for you to understand that this is real significant? The only way we can resist and confront the enemy is through the authority of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And how do I know that? Because there is a passage in the Bible where it talks about how it went really badly when somebody did it without the authority of Christ. Acts chapter 19, that's your homework. Read it and try not to laugh at these poor guys, okay? Uh, A group that was known as the Sons of Sceva, which they need to work on their branding a little bit. It's not a great name. But anyways... The sons of Sceva are these prophets, and they go in and they are going to cast out some evil spirits. And they're actually even trying to use the name of Jesus, but it becomes evident that they weren't walking in the authority of Jesus. So they go in to cast out demons. Here's what the Bible says. It says they got beaten so badly that they literally got their clothes beat off of them. They walk in fully dressed and they run out of the house naked. I've been in some fights, and I've lost some fights, but I ain't never lost one that bad, right? And and listen, you may not be beaten down by the enemy in that same physical way, but let me just tell you, I've seen so many believers who are spiritually, emotionally, and even sometimes physically through what's going on in their lives, just absolutely beaten, discouraged, disheartened, hurt, and they wonder, why in the world is life happening to me like this? Why in the world am I in this place? What in the world is going on? And you know what I would just ask? It's just a simple question. Is Jesus ruling and reigning over every single part of your life? See, I think we often think of Satan as trying to make us really, really bad people. We think of temptation as Satan trying to really make us mess up in a bad, bad, public, terrible, awful way. We think about uh, adultery so it tears apart our marriage or uh, some kind of thing financially and you uh, are, are fall in ruin. And we think of all these big, elaborate schemes of the devil And while he can and does work in those ways, we've all seen that, haven't we? I believe that Satan's number one tool that he uses in our lives today is complacency. Complacency. Some of you today are thinking, I'm I'm faithful to my spouse. I do a pretty good job at work. I, I don't take anything from anybody. I show up at church pretty regular. You feel pretty good about your life. But are you really letting Jesus rule and reign in your life? Is he really your everything today? Because if he is not ruling and reigning in our lives, then we are right where the enemy wants us. Whether that's demonic activity or even just our flesh in this fallen world, we can become useless and literally waste our lives living for things other than Christ. But I'm thankful for this message because today is indeed a day of grace. 
Jesus is here and he is inviting us to let him rule and reign in our lives. And that comes with protection from the enemy. That comes with the power not only to resist, but to literally push back against the forces of darkness, against the world, against our flesh, and even against Satan himself. We can do this with the help of Christ under his authority if we're walking in it. So again, this is where we end this message today. I want to be very plain so you hear this truth. Demons are real. Satan is real. Darkness is real. We have a real enemy, but we have a real Savior. There's real danger in walking in darkness, but there is a light. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will never overcome it. And John 1 tells us that that light is Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, you may be walking in darkness today and you may think that it is so dark you will never see the light again. But if he is calling you today, you can run out of darkness into his marvelous light and he stands ready to completely recreate you and change your life forever. But some of you in here would say, hey, hey, Rusty, I know Jesus already, but man, I just feel like I'm beaten down today. I feel discouraged, and I feel like maybe the enemy's had a hand in that, or maybe it's just my flesh, maybe it's this, this world, but I'm beaten down and frustrated today. Can I just tell you something? Uh, it's not about to get weird. Some of you are like, where's this going? We're not going to call you down and try to cast demons out of people today. But can I tell you that right now, in this moment, you can get rid of the work of the enemy in your life. How can you do it? You don't, you don't need me to lay hands on. You don't need any of that. You know what you need to do? You need to say, Jesus, rule and reign over my life. There is nothing that I'm holding back from you. You can have every part of who I am, my, my life. You can have my family. You can have my career. You can have my church. You can have every single part of my life. It belongs to you. And when you do that, he will begin to rule and reign in your life. And here's what's crazy about that. When you develop a real thriving relationship with Jesus, you may have a real enemy, but you will know the real Savior. And he, you will know that our Savior is greater and that the enemy's days are numbered. He will be defeated, but the reign of our Lord and Savior will never, ever end. And when you let him rule and reign in your life, you know what you're doing? You're joining the revolution. The kingdom of darkness seems like it's winning so often in our world today. But did you know that there is a revolution that was started a couple thousand years ago? Oh man, and the world has tried and tried. Satan has tried and tried. Our flesh has tried and tried. But you know what? If you are in Christ, nothing will separate you from the love of God. So here's the call of the message today, plain and simple. Walk with Jesus. Walk in the light in such a way that everywhere you go, you are pushing back against the forces of darkness. I believe that God wants to use a community of people in Wichita, Kansas to change the world. But he can't do that unless we will let the light shine within us. So here's what you need to do today. Let Jesus rule and reign in your life in such a way that you can be protected from the enemy, but also so we can push back against the enemy in our community and in our world. Will you do that today?
Let's reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message you give us, Lord. It's, it's an interesting word when we talk about things like demons and the devil, and it kind of makes us feel weird sometimes. And some of us may even have more questions now than when we started. But, Lord, I pray we wouldn't miss the heart of what you're trying to tell us today. That at the end of the day, you ruled and reign over everything. So, Lord, our, our cry to you is that you would rule and reign over us Rule and reign over this church. Lord, I pray that we would be so filled with your light that everywhere we go, the darkness would have to hide. Lord, that as we end our church services, as we go throughout our weeks, as we walk in the the realms of influence that you have given us as a church family, that we would take the light of Christ with us in such a way that we push back against the evil darkness. Lord, I pray for those in here who may not know you. They may feel today that they've gone way too far to come back. But Lord, I pray that they would know today that there's still hope. That your Holy Spirit would call them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. God, for my friends who are like me, who know you, but if we're honest, we we don't always live for you. I pray, God, that you would help us. Not only to be saved by this marvelous light, but to walk in your light and to take that light with us everywhere we go.